Good evening, everyone, and welcome. Tonight's class is titled Don't Judge. And I like to start off by looking at this little picture I drew. I'm not an artist, but nonetheless, I'll. <laughs> we have over here the letters. What are the letters? Taf, Nun, Yod, and Aleph, which is spelled Tanya. But can anyone tell me what's unique about the order of these letters? Thank you very much. So the last letter, Taf, Nun is towards the, the third, fourth, you know, Yod is the tenth letter, Aleph is the first. And one of the things that we learn within the Tanya is that a person who is haughty, so the Tanya slowly, through learning the Tanya, is going to slowly come to recognize that they know less than they think. Until they'll come to the Aleph and say, wow, I'm really at the beginning. Tough, you start off thinking you're, you've completed your, your task, it's all good, now you can boss everyone else around. And slowly we learn that we all, we're all in this together, we all have a lot to learn, we have a lot to grow in. And I think that perhaps chapter 30 shares with us what we're going to start tonight, this idea, in a wider way. I know that I shared something similar on Shabbos, but I'm going to share it again. There was a student of the Baal Shem Tov who, there were two brothers actually, who both were looking, they were searching. And the first brother, he traveled, and his first person he went to was the Alter Rebbe. And his brother, a few years later, after traveling to many big Rebbe's, ended up by the Alter Rebbe. So the two brothers meet a few years later, and the first, we'll call him Shimon, the one who went immediately to the Alter Rebbe, he turns to his brother Levi, who came after a few years wandering, he says, look, Shimon, he says, Levi, I came here from the beginning, so I can't tell you what's unique about the Alter Rebbe over all the other Hasidim, over all the other type of Rebbe's. But you, you've seen everything, so tell me, what's, what's unique, what drew you here? So Levi says, he says, look, Shimon, it's too much for me to describe in truth, but I'll share with you one detail that hopefully will try to give you a little perspective. He says, you know, I truly try as hard as I can to serve God. As hard as I can, I'm constantly doing the Torah and mitzvot, and very little... Do I slip in? There's very little that truly I am not fulfilling within the Torah and Mitzvahs. If I'm being honest. When, Tish, when the month of Elul comes around and Tishrei is coming, it's a time of accounting before Yom Kippur. So he says, before I went to any of the Rebbe's, it came time for Elul, for making this accounting, and I sat and I thought, I said, look, my name is Levi. I've fulfilled Torah and mitzvot. Yes, maybe one time I, I didn't look at someone the right way, but I didn't really truly sin. So he said, what does it mean when I say I've sinned, chatasi? And we, when we talk about Yom Kippur, we, we say I've sinned. But 
Levi is talking to me saying, I, I didn't really sin. I mean, what? what? I did Torah in mitzvot. So he said, at that point, a light bulb came up and said, you know what it means I've sinned? It's talking about, talking about Levi. Everybody else, they sinned. It's not talking about me. I haven't sinned. That was my first understanding in the word I've sinned. Well, it's not talking about me, it's talking about everyone else. It's like every good student, when you call them into your office, they say, <laughs> you got the wrong guy, right? Yeah, I didn't sin. You're talking. He says, then I traveled to one of the rabbis. And I started, and that rabbi started teaching Hasidus. The rabbi taught that everything you see in, some, in someone is a reflection of yourself. In last week's Torah portion, we learned a story how Noah, Noyach, went ahead and drank wine and he was lying down in an inappropriate way and one of his children saw what, what was happening and really made a mockery of it and the two older brothers they came and they covered up Noyach appropriately that's the story but the Torah is really fascinating when it's talking about the two brothers Shem and Yefes, who were covering over their brother, it kind of repeats twice that they didn't see their father's, their father undressed. Why are you repeating the same thing twice? So the Baal Shem Tov said that the Torah is telling us that what you see in someone else is a reflection of yourself. What you see in somebody else is a reflection of yourself. So, Levi says, when I heard this teaching, Okay, hit me like a light bulb. If someone else, if I see sins in somebody else, so maybe this must be a small sin within me. And I could find... So now all of a sudden, when it came time for Elul, and when I was in by this Rebbe, I was able to say I sinned. But to be honest, it was a very, very small, minute sin. I didn't really sin. He says, and then I came to the Alter Rebbe. And I learned how God formed the entire world for me. And God's focus is on me. And how when I don't do something small, it has a, it has a greater effect. And it is worse than when someone that is on a lower level of me does something much big, much more Greater. So just to be clear, when a lower person sins, this big sin it is still lower, it has a, lo a smaller effect than when I, who am on, at a higher stature, do something very small. So I recognize all of a sudden when I came to the Altar Abbey that who I am, God is looking at me, He's focused on me. And because of my stature, the little tiny things that I do have this massive effect. And all of a sudden I recognize the accounting that I need to take upon myself. That was the story that's shared. Now tonight, today what we're going to learn is we're going to, under, we're going to start discussing how truly when I look at anyone else, I have to recognize and appreciate and know that they are greater than I is this a teaching of Hasidus? No, this is not a teaching of Hasidus. This is a Mishnah. The Mishnah says, The Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says, You need to be of humble spirit before every man. 
Yet, without Hasidus, we can't truly appreciate how that is done. How do you want me to be more humble than someone else who's a true wicked man? We're talking about, the Mishnah says, you should be more humble than the greatest sinner. And we'll soon see how we see that. But how could I be more humble than the greatest sinner? He sinned. He's a bad guy. No. We have to be more humble than such a person. Truly humble. Not convince ourselves. You know, they share a story, a true story, that there was once a shul where everyone there was in competition. Who's more humble than the other? And... True story. A young boy on Simchas Torah. We believe it. We believe it. Yes. A, young, a, a man gets up on Simchas Torah and he says, Okay, the next hakafa, the next group of people who are going to hold the Torah, the first person to hold the Torah is going to be the most humble person in Shul. And he records the story. He says there was a fight now between the people who is more humble. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being truly humble. Let's see it inside chapter 30, page 134. This chapter is coming in continuation to chapter 29 where we discuss someone who has a clogged heart, different methods of breaking up that clogged heart. Now we're going to discuss another item, which is how can you break your clogged heart by, be, by being of a humble spirit. This also, page 134, chapter 30, this also... A person must resolve in his heart to fulfill the instruction of our rabbis of blessed memory, of blessed memory, the Hevei Shifal Ruach Lifnei Kol HaAdam, and be, of spirit, be humble of spirit before every person. We're not only saying that you need to be humble of spirit in the way you act to them. It's not saying that when someone comes to you, you should be nice to them. If that's what it meant, it should say it. It is saying you should be humble of spirit before you should truly think that the other person is greater than you. And if we look in the Hebrew, the terminology used for person is ha-adam, the man. Ha-adam, the man, is a reference we learn even to non-Jews. We're not saying here you need to be of humble spirit to another tzaddik. You need to be of humble spirit to everyone, even the lowest of low, even to a non-Jew. This you must be in true sincerity. So you have to truly be humble, not like those people in shul fighting more, who's more humble, and in the presence of any individual. Even in the presence of the most worthless of worthless men. No matter who is in front of you, the Mishnah and Pirkei Avos is telling you, you need to feel truly humble, more humble than that person. But how can that be? So let's take a moment. I'd love to hear some thoughts. In other words, the question is, and Baruch, I'm going to throw this out to you at first. How could he be more humble than the lowest of low men? What lowest of low means? A true, true sinner. How could he be more humble than that? Baruch, eyes on you. Oh, I'd walk in their shoes and see if I could be more humble. Walk, I, I love it. Baruch, I mean, basically you hit it. The answer is, the answer is walk in their shoes. 
Do you remember we discussed? Go ahead. That mean becoming a sinner. That means trying to trying to perceive the mindset of a sinner. Yeah. Yeah. Try to appreciate why they're sinning. Do you remember we discussed a few weeks ago about Adam Harisha, the first man, how he could have sinned? We discussed he had a command from God for barely a few hours to not eat from a tree. There were so many other trees. And we shared at that time that God took every single challenge that would ever be, He put into one Yitzhahara that was pressuring Adam at that moment. We can't appreciate someone else's challenges. We all know the famous joke. They say everyone came to the rabbi and said, I don't like my, my, I don't like my life. So the rabbi said, no problem. Tomorrow, write down all your issues, put it in a pot, and you'll, sw- you'll switch issues. And they did it the following day, and they c- came back a few hours la- later saying, you know what, I'll be happy, I'd be happy with what I have. We can't appreciate what someone else does. Just today I went with my students to an art gallery, and... Just hearing the artist, the, the, the thought they put into it, the time they put into it, 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 unless you do it, you can't appreciate it. I remember when I used to start reading the Torah, I never imagined how much time it takes to literally prepare a simple Torah portion that you're going to read. These simple things, and everyone in their profession knows that it's tough, it's not easy. We can't appreciate it until we put ourselves in their shoes. And this is another quote from Pirkei Avos. What is the quote? Don't judge your friend. Let's say it again slower in Hebrew. Don't judge. Your friend. Until you reach his place. Until you're in his place, until you're in his shoes, don't judge him. And Tani is going to put in the most, per- the most amazing perspective. He says, there's a fire, Right? I just Herschel Kesslock, he's a, he was just told me, he's a big fan of coffee, but he explained to me that he doesn't like having coffee in other people's houses because their hot water heaters don't get hot enough for the heat that he needs for his coffee. He, we all, no, and I appreciate that very much, we all have different types of ovens. A baker's oven gets much hotter than a normal oven. If you want an example of a baker's oven that I've personally seen, is you, if you go and you see the heat of a matzah factory where they're making matzah, those are unbelievable. The heat is unbelievable. I mean, it's one of the worst jobs is the person who takes the matzah out of the oven. And they're basically getting into a job they know they're going to get burned. It's, it's unbelievable, the heat there. But not everyone has that same heat. To apply it to ourselves, even in a very technical way. Some people are very passionate people. They're, they're people passionate that at times, if they're going to get caught up, if they're going to see something, it's just going to trigger them and they're, they're going to be on fire until they're able to fulfill that passion. Other people, they see things and they're called a people. It doesn't really affect them. So the place that a person is in, both, let's talk more on a, in their makeup of their the way Hashem made them, that's one type of place. Some people are have a much greater <coughs> fire within them than others. Some people are naturally cold temperament. That's one item. Another item is some people physically are involved in a job that puts them more out there. Others are just sitting in their office the whole day typing away at a computer. So until we're able to 
put ourselves in the shoes of the other person, we can't appreciate the challenge they're going through. Oh, it's like, oh, this person, wow, he just had a... Yeah, he just had a cheeseburger. Well, like, let's, do you know? Let's, let's appreciate, let's appreciate. You know, they share a story of a rabbi that on Yom Kippur, he sees one of his congregants in a store, in a non-kosher, in a non-kosher restaurant. And he, he calls this man after, after the holidays. First of all, he knew that he fasts on Yom Kippur and he, doesn't, he only eats kosher. He didn't understand. So the man says, Rabbi, I can't really understand the specifics of it, but he said, basically, I was having some sort of diabetic attack, and if I didn't eat anything, I would have died. You know, so, first of all, we can't judge someone else, and we can't even appreciate the challenge they're going through. Let's see that inside. After we do it inside, I'll be happy to take any questions. How are we able to go ahead and really be humble before everyone else? This accords with the instruction of our sages. Do not judge your fellow man until you have stood in his place. Continues Tanya, for it is his place that causes him to sin. What causes a person to sin? His place. What is his place? Continues Tanya, because his livelihood requires him to go to the market for the whole day. So the first thing is, let's say, for example, this person, he's a businessman. He's a businessman that he physically needs to go and he's a salesman, I meant to say. He has to go in front of people and try and get them to buy something. And on top of being a salesman, and to be one of those who sit at the street corners. Not only is he a salesman, if you're a salesman, is one thing. You're busy. But sometimes your job makes you be, you sit at the street corner, your job is to hold one of those poles for the mattress stores and just stare at everybody. That's your job. That's how you're making a livelihood. So if you're a salesman, at least your mind's preoccupied and, and even when you see things, you're not going to completely get lost in it. But maybe your job is just, your job is to be out there and you're seeing things and you don't have something else to distract your mind. Where his eyes behold all the temptations, and we know that the eye sees, and then what happens is, and the heart desires, and now that the heart desires and his evil nature is kindled. But it's kindled like what? Like a baker's red hot oven. We're not talking about it's just, you've, you, you know, now you're on fire. We're talking about the passion is so extreme. As is written in Hosea, he burns like a flaming fire. So, so, you can't judge someone else until you're in their place. Their place is what's ca- causing them to sin. Remember, on average, most people don't get up today and say, Okay, how am I going to sin today? You know, that's not, that's, that's not, that's a, unfortunately, there is such a thing as a maze. It's someone that, in the mo- that gets up and he says, I'm going to go ahead and sin against God. But that's rarely, rarely, rarely what we're talking about. We're talking about a scenario where someone, his situation is causing him to sin. Maybe he doesn't know better. Maybe even though he knows better, but that's the way he was educated, and it's very hard to remove yourself from the way you were educated as a child. Maybe you're just... The maybes we could all think about. I'm saying we, I think we could all come up with what challenges the other person could be. And let me give you an example. Just to think for a moment. I know for myself, at times, like I do things, maybe... And I'm, and I'm thinking that I know exactly what I'm doing, but someone else won't understand. Does, has that ever happened to you? You're doing something, and you're like, if someone sees me now, they're going to really think I'm doing something inappropriate. But you know... So now, that per- 
you're familiar with the, what I'm saying here, Nachshon? You've ever had such an experience where you did something and... Yeah? Yeah, they look at me and they say, what the hell are you talking about? Something like that. So, if we could for Happens a moment... more often than I like. If we could for a moment, when we look at someone else, have that perspective. See, right now, we have no clue why or what they're doing. But... They're doing it for a good reason. There's, there's something behind it. Right? Today I met with a behavioral coach. I was, there's a challenge that I'm working on. And the behavioral coach, she told me a line. It's an unbelievable line. She said, behavior is a message. People don't do behaviors because, just because. You know, she was talking regarding children. If a child is misbehaving, they're telling you something. They're trying to convey something to you. Don't just say, oh, he's a, they're, they're not bad children. What are they subconsciously trying to tell you? What's the message here? So when we look at someone else, it's always, we're not talking about giving them the benefit of the doubt. We're talking about much more than that. We're saying, register, understand, appreciate that we can't really connect with what they're going through at the time. And any questions? I hope no questions is good. Okay. There are times that demand an immediacy of response, and it is difficult to fit that need into the philosophical contemplation involved here. Yes, there are times that, that, that we have to judge, but that's very, very rare. That's if you're a judge on a, on a bed-in, maybe. But aside from that, um, generally, Hopefully we don't need a judge. But I appreciate it. Or, or I mean, there are times as, a, as an educator, as a parent, that you need to do something. We try our best. So it's different, continues Tanya. That's one extreme. One person who is standing outside holding that 70% off. What's, how much mattress is normally the 70% off? Yeah. 70 to 99% off. I saw so, one that said 90% off, but the mattress is only this big. <laughs> <laughs> and, and all the man is doing is staring and seeing everything else. And naturally, he's a very passionate and heated person. It's different, however, with him who goes but little to the marketplace and who remains in his house for the greater part of the day. I mean, you're barely leaving your, barely leaving your shul, you're barely leaving your desk. Or even if he spends the whole day in the market, but is possibly not so passionate by nature. He, he doesn't get so excited. For the evil inclination of all people is not the same. This is an amazing and underline. We need to underline this in, in our mind. The evil inclination of all people is not the same. There is one whose nature, dot, 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 as is explained elsewhere. This is a very important point. We're always, I could, I'm going to talk for myself here. I'm always judging others. You know, I, I remember um, just last week someone told me when they come to Shul on Shabbos, not this past Shabbos, because then it would probably have to be David if I said it was this past Shabbos who told it to me. But two Shabbos and probably back, be right. Two Shabbos and back, a woman comes to me and, and she says she's challenged because every time she comes to Shul, it makes her feel that she's better than everyone else relative to the people that aren't in Shul. It was an example. But every time, if, oftentimes, w w when we do something good, at that moment we're like, okay, we're good, but now I'm better than the others. 
And that's a very normal challenge that many people are challenged with. We're constantly judging other people, right? We're judging ourselves. Am I like, what do they call it? Be like the Jones next door, what's the expression? Well, we're always keeping up with the Jones. We're always judging. We're always judging others. We're judging ourselves. But this is one of the key items. The yetzer horror of another person is not mine. I'm sorry, I keep on kind of chewing over the different conversations I had recently. But I had another class recently. Oh, this was an amazing activity. Dr. Maloff saw it on Friday. Did you see the Band-Aid activity? Band-Aid? When we were putting Band-Aids on all the children's foreheads? Oh, I... I you came at the end? Came at the end. So this past Friday, we had all the children sitting in, sitting in one room. And we told them all... We said, everyone... Makeup is an issue bothering you. So the first person says, my forehead is hurting. So we put a band-aid on the forehead. The next person says, my fingers really hurting. So we put a band-aid on their forehead. The next person said that their arm is hurting. We put a band-aid because we're all equal. Right? We're all equal. So, um, so to be equal, we all have to treat you the same. Even if your knee is hurting you, I'm sorry, but I only could put a band-aid on your forehead. Well, well, it's not like that, of course, right? It's, we, what's the quote we go around saying? We say, it's, it's fair, but not equal. We want to make sure everyone's fair. We're not going to treat you all equally. You, have you ever seen, they have a famous picture of a turtle and a monkey climbing up a tree. And the teacher says, like a, you know, common, it's a standardized testing from the government. And so I'm going to give you now this common core standard test. Um, you have to climb that tree in 10 seconds. Right? You have the turtle and the monkey. Ready, set, go. We, we, fair but not equal. We'll never be able to truly appreciate somebody else. Every person has their own yetsuhara, their own inclination. So, where are we holding right now? We're holding that we can never judge anyone else. And not, sorry, let's go backwards. We have to be of more humble spirit than any other person. Person, I said, I did it because we're talking about Jew, non-Jew, even the lowest of low. And ha- how? Because we have to try and put ourselves in their shoes. And until we do, and when we put ourselves in their shoes, we're going to see a whole new picture. So now, let me ask you a question. Who here is, so to say, a lattice sin, based on what we've learned? Who, who's a lattice sin? Somebody who's holding a street sign for the mattress store and is passionate, we've said, they're in trouble. Is that what we've said? No. Why haven't we said I mean, I think that's what we said. Why didn't we say that? Because we have to take into consideration what the person's abilities are, what his position is, what he's doing, if we are truly going to be considerate of him and to consider the nature of his sin in context. No, no, what I've said is, I meant to say that such a person, the fact that he sins, let him sin. That's almost what we're saying. Someone in that scenario, if he sins, you know what, I understand. Which scenario? I'm not following. What we've said here is, what we've said, I appreciate you sharing that. What we've just learned is that when you see someone else, We can't judge them. We need to be of more humble spirit because imagine if their job is to be looking at everything around them and they're very passionate. They can't control themselves. They have that oven. They have the baker's oven inside of themselves. Well, are we saying that such a person is off the hook? 
Are we saying that there are times that someone is doing things that they can't control and they're so passionate that it's not their fault? Well, of course not. A person is always responsible for their actions. And that's what we're going to learn right now. And this is a very focal point. But we need to remember that if it was so easy to be free of sin, there wouldn't be any. Yeah, it's not, I agree. I agree. What exactly are we passionate about? I guess I'm, I'm all confused. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Let's, <clears throat> let, when I say passionate, you know, I'm going to take an extreme because I think the word passion will, will fit in right there. Let's talk about an inappropriate relationship. You have a person that's holding a sign on the street and he sees people that aren't dressed appropriately and that, that, that um, you know, really brings us... He starts having this passion and he starts doing inappropriate sins. He has thoughts and... S thoughts? And maybe he's actually going to go ahead and do, do an act that's inappropriate. Get him with a sign. So... But the, the answer is... I just gave that example because it's kind of in our context... It's the easiest to understand, but we could all understand it. Anything, even when it comes I don't to think certain. It has to be some guy waving a sign either. It can be a corporate mucky mocker. Of course. From the of, news of, late. of course. The reason I share this, that example, is because the corporate person, at least, he has the ability to focus on his work. He has the ability to focus, hopefully, on whatever his task is on hand. So a person that's holding a sign, has, there's nothing else. He's going to listen to music, right? What is he? Hopefully he'll listen to some shiurim, he'll listen to Tanya. You know, just to share, the Gemara, is actually, the Gemara actually shares that there were Tanoim, there were uh, authors of the Talmud, actually authors, yeah, authors, Amurayim, authors of the Talmud, who sold shoes. And they sold shoes to people that were... Inappropri inappropriately dressed and were doing inappropriate things, the way they would sell their shoes is they, would just, they wouldn't look at the people buying the shoes. If you wanted to talk to them, they would look down, you could make a conversation with them, and they would, they would take care of your shoes. So there, there are ways, yes, that even a person that is... So going back, the reason I share that example of someone holding the sign is because it doesn't use his mind. So I'm trying to make an extreme. Yeah. Clear? But I agree with you. Unfortunately, people could sin. People could sin even if they're in their own home doing nothing else. You know. So, so sorry to, to bring this back. So, someone that has nothing else on his mind. He's just holding this sign, and he is passionate. And he sees inappropriate things, and he sins. Are we saying it's not his fault? Is that our goal here? No. But how could it be his fault? What should he have done? How can he control himself? See, what's the answer? Well, he has free will. He has free will. But what type of... Like, what exactly does he need to anchor right now to oh, bring that back? He's on fire. He needs to anchor his godly soul. His godly soul, which is true. But here we're going to use specific words. He needs to anchor his fear of God. He needs to pull at his fear of God. Because... You ever were really excited and then something fearful happened and you lost your whole excitement? You ever got a hundred on your test, you came home and your mother screamed at you and you weren't excited anymore? I don't, I don't know. You know. We, if we could be excited about something, but when fear happens, that could remove the excitement. Mm -hmm. So we could be all excited about a certain 
prohibition. But the, if we're able to pull out what we call today the fear factor, if we could pull out our fear of God, that's able to remove that passion and bring us back to where we need to be. D- did I bring you... Does this make sense now? Yes, but I, I, I darted back to something in the Torah I read, but I don't want to take it off track. We'll come back to it at the end. I'll be happy to answer. So, that's what we're going to continue now in Tanya. We're going to go ahead and learn why even someone who's passionate is responsible for their sin. Continues Tanya in truth. However, even he whose nature is extremely passionate and whose livelihood obliges him to sit all day at the street corners, nonetheless, he still has no excuse whatsoever for his sins. And he is termed an Adol Iverdur, Rasha Gamur, because there is no dread of God before his eyes. Even someone who sins, don't let him say, Ah, what could I do? No, you're still responsible because if you would pull out that fear of God before you, you'd be able to control yourself. No matter what, no matter who, no matter where, we always can control ourselves. It may take extreme, extreme power. It may take an unhumane power, but we can. Because God, is, God does give us free choice. For he should have controlled himself and restrained the impulse of his desire in his heart because of the fear of God, who sees all his actions, as has been explained above. And how do we know that fear could always control your passion? For the mind has supremacy over the heart by nature. Rabbi, is yes, please. Somebody who uh, is mentally stable or unstable, also. Very good question. Very good question. So I'm just going to ask for you to clarify it a little bo- bit more before yeah. I try and answer. Well, I see uh, people on corners, you know, and living in tents. That's that's what brought me to mind. And I've been told that many, if not most, are unstable and they can't take living even in a homeless shelter. They can take it out, they can live outside, they can tolerate it outside. So, do they, what if though they're so unstable, they they don't have a fear of God, they don't have much willpower, and they keep bothering the cars as, the, as they're stopped at the red lights until the cars go by. Or they knock on the cars to get money, or all sorts of things. Are we to put ourselves in that frame of mind so as to avoid necessarily judging them? Um, and I raised this issue because over the weekend I was reading something by someone who, um, who really, from what he wrote, he made me realize how I judge those people. And he hands out money to them. When he goes into New York, he's sure to take money and he gives. Um, if he's approached by anybody because he recognizes they've had hard lives. So it's just, you know. So I'm going to apologize. Could you say the question again? 
So how do we, um, this passage here, does it deal with people who are, are we talking about people who basically are stable and have it within them for the... Is your question... Supreme over the heart. Is your question that when we see people that look unstable, should we still judge them meritoriously? Is that the question? No. Do they have a fear of God? Do they have the capacity to okay. fear God? Okay. It is a question. So let me see if I could just repeat it back. The question is, we learned that the mind naturally controls the heart. Is this true of mentally unstable people? Is that the question? Is that how we're also supposed to look at them when trying to understand and trying not to be judgmental about them? So, your question is, is everyone in this world, does everyone in this world have the ability for their mind to control their body, their heart? Mm -hmm. Or are there some people that unfortunately, truly unfortunately, um, their mind is not fully in control of their heart? Mm -hmm. And how does that affect our, our right. ability to control judgments of them? Or are we supposed to only think about their lack of stability to help us control our judgments. So, so like if I, let me just throw this out there, if I go ahead and say that, no, there are some people, unfortunately, that do not have control of their heart. In Halacha, in the Torah, we learn about someone called a Shota, someone who truly is not uh, fully understanding of what's going on around him. He doesn't have... And it, we, there is... It, it's certainly possible that there are people that are um, mentally unstable and not in control of themselves. Mm -hmm. So those people, I mean, I think if we, put them, if we put ourselves in their shoes, we'll immediately appreciate that, that actually they are greater than us. They are... The Rebbe spoke a lot about... Um, children with special needs, adults with special needs, and how those people have a greater connection to Hashem than others that are able to connect through tefillah and learning Torah, etc. So, if, God forbid, we do, in, not God forbid, God, if, we, if they're alive, we should, we should encounter them. But if, God forbid, someone was created as such, um, and they sin, of course we should judge them meritoriously, recognizing that they're not in full control of themselves. But we're talking here about someone who is a stable person. And therefore they're responsible for their actions. But we were saying perhaps they're not responsible at a certain point because they've, their eyes have seen certain, certain, things, certain things in their passion. We're saying even... As long as you're a stable person, of course, you're responsible for your actions because you should be able to bring out the fear of God, which is now going to control you, which is able to control you. Did, did that answer the question? Sort of. Okay. Okay. Um, I'd like to share a few more lines, then we'll share a story, and with that we'll conclude, we'll take questions. 
you know, we, we ask, how strong is this fight? You know, the people we're talking about, these people that they, they, really are, they really are in places we wouldn't go. And according to Torah, obviously, we're talking about someone that somehow, according to Torah, they're allowed to be there. And they're really, they're just, they're just on fire. But we're saying that they need to control themselves. They can. But how hard is that control? For whoever it is, a man or a woman in this situation, how hard is the control they need at that moment? And I want to read this, the next four lines. It's unbelievable. It is indeed a great and fierce struggle to break one's passion, which burns like a fiery flame, through fear of God. Yes, it is possible to control yourself through fear of God, but it's a great struggle, continues Tanya. It is like an actual test. Meaning, it's as the same amount of energy that takes for someone to be willing to give up their life and not say, I'm going to convert. That same amount of energy is the one needed from this man or woman that is now on fire. But they're able to do it. So let's not take it lightly. The person, actually on the contrary now, let's put it the other way. Someone that is in their home and is doing Torah and mitzvahs, good for you. Someone, I didn't mean it like that, of course, I meant it, but I'm trying just to bring it the, the, the uh, so you're in your house, what do you want? No big deal. But someone that's out there and doing Torah and mitzvahs, unbelievable, every moment is a challenge. And someone that is out there holding the mattress sign and is, and is still doing Torah and mitzvahs, unbelievable. When someone is caught up with this fierce passion, you can't control yourself, but it takes the energy that is necessary to give up your life in another circumstance. The energy necessary is unbelievable. It is like an actual test. So let's put this all together. We'll take questions and conclude. We started off saying that we need to be of humble spirit to every single human being, Jew, non-Jew, sinner, or holy alike. How could that be? We said, Don't judge your friend until you reach his place. His place means his spiritual and physical place. What's the physical setting that he's in? What's the spiritual makeup of his body? And no two Yetzirahs are alike. Right, we say no two people have the same, f same fingerprints. No two people have the same evil inclination. We'll never be able to truly understand what someone else is going through. Nonetheless, every single person is responsible for his actions because you can't control yourself in any situation. Although, some situations may demand energy, the like of one who is being threatened with his life, to overcome it. And with this, we'll wrap it up for now. What we're going to continue next week is, we're going we're to be very harsh on all of us. We're going to learn that until we are exerting the same amount of energy needed from those people, we are of a low spirit. Until we are exerting that energy, the same energy needed for one to give up his life. Let's take that energy and put it into the positive. If we're not exerting that energy, then now we are of lower spirit than the person who is controlling himself. 
So that means we could be doing all the Torah and mitzvahs. We could be doing as much. But if we're not exerting ourselves with, the, with that same energy needed from others, we can't even compare ourselves to them. Are there any questions? Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you.